Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. I had a question about some insurance stocks. I know that y'all have been talking about them. I've been looking at Allstate, MetLife, and Hartford Financial Services. And provides unbiased answers. My biggest worry on these names is that they have some retirement annuity arms. Invest Talk. Over 30 million downloads and counting. Thanks for everything that you guys do. I have a question about Light in the Box Holdings, L-I-T-B. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, March 24th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. Appreciate you all tuning in this hour and for taking time for yourself to help educate yourself and begin the process of, or continue the process, I guess, it's always continuing, of your own building towards your own version of financial freedom. And that's what I am here for you today to do, which is to do one more tool in your tool bag to make better decisions. If I just give you one more, that then I have been successful in this hour. And... That's an important lesson that I think everybody should, should take about anything in life. It's really about putting one foot in front of the other, building upon your education each and every day to get better at what you're doing, whatever you're doing. And that's how you become successful. It's not about just following this guru or following uh, this one rule. That's not what investing is about. It's about putting all the pieces together, and there are a lot of pieces, both quantitative, both qualitative. And during this hour, I'm going to operate with our mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success. This this means that I'm going to present everything on the show without bias. I'm I'm not here. I don't have an incentive one way or the other. Uh, I'm just going to tell you as I see it, based on my experience, based on the data in front of me, whether I'm talking about the market, an individual stock, an asset class, uh, describing strategy, whatever it is, I'm here to give you the facts. Now, I'm Justin Klein. Of course, we encourage you to contact us with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape the show. In fact, you can actually call right now during our live stream program, 4 to 5 Pacific Time, or you can leave a question if you're listening after hours on our Anytime Voice Bank at 800, sorry, 888-99-CHART. That number never changes. Changes. So let's head to our first caller question now. Hi, this is Mike from Utah. I was just calling to get your opinion on the company. C-U-R-L-S, cannabis stock. And they just opened their hundredth location in the state, American owned. And I just want to get your opinion on it. You could. Thank you. Are right, you looking at Q 
Cura Leaf, C-U-R-L-F is the symbol. This is one of those multi-state domestic operators here in the U.S. And I like these names. Now they're traded in the the over-the-counter markets, so don't think that uh, you can buy them on the NYSE. But you typically will pay a commission to buy them with your broker. So understand that. Now, while I like Cura Leaf is one of my Better ones, better one runs in the uh, domestic arena when it comes to cannabis. Just because they're well run today doesn't mean they will be well run in the future. Doesn't mean they can't lose in the fight for supremacy in the cannabis industry here in the U.S. when it does become fully legalized. So understand the risks. These are names that can drop precipitously. Just look back in 2019 at high of $11 in the month of April. And in March, just a little, uh, almost a year later, it was down to $2.75. So these are very volatile names. Now we're at 1505. We're having a bit of a pullback here. But what I like about this recent pullback in the space is it's been fairly controlled. It hasn't been big, massive sell offs. Uh, and, and that tells me that there are institutions. Buying those dips. That's what institutions do. Right? They understand the thesis and they have conviction. And they like dips. They're not chasing returns. They're chasing actual businesses and forward-looking prospects. The average investor, they're chasing returns typically. Oh, it's gone up this amount, especially in this environment. And so when it goes down, it, w- it can worry people. But the fact that this had a, it's had a controlled pullback so far makes me optimistic. Doesn't mean it can't pull back more. Could all pull all the way back to 10, maybe even back into the single digits. Absolutely. But these are the type of names that you want to build a portfolio of if you have the willingness to hold through the inevitable ups and downs of this industry that is going to bring bouts of positive sentiment and negative. Now, this is InvestTalk. I know you need and want strategies to help deal with the current market environment. The rotation today was one of those days where you saw major sell-off, and I'll get to that in a second, but I'm ready to take your calls on InvestTalk Listener line at 888-989-CHART. So let's take a look at the market today. The S&P was down about 21 points. Modest down day, but this was one of those rotation days away from growth and into value. Even though the XLE was, actually XLE was up, excuse me, up $1.20. XLF was barely barely up about 12 cents, a quarter of a percent. That's the financials for everyone out there. But the NASDAQ, COMPQ, that was down 265 points, over 2%. And it looks like this bounce. The NASDAQ bounced off the 100-day moving average like it did in November. But that bounce was very, very shallow, and we're rolling back over again. So what this tells me is we're headed to the next level. It's consolidating here at the 100. And the next level on the NASDAQ is going to be around the 12,000 level. Now we're at 12,961 at the close today. So another 
thousand point sell off or so from here would not shock me at all. Eight, nine percent. There's a lot of weakness in the story stocks, right? The Teslas of the world, the Neos of the world, the solar stocks of the world. TAN, T A N, the, the solar ETF, that was down four bucks, about five percent today. And a lot of those names are very, very weak. The story is now behind us. The infrastructure bill doesn't look like it's coming anytime soon. And so this is an environment where you need to be vigilant on what you're holding and understand that this can be a multi-month, multi-year process of bringing some of these very, very overvalued, very, very story stock names back down to reality. And remember, when, the, when story stocks start to lose their momentum and prices aren't going up, it can be a rough fall. Why? Because when things are going up, you don't question the story. The story isn't questioned because you're making money. When it starts going down, now you question the story, start looking at the numbers. You start looking at the numbers, numbers don't really make any sense. And that's why a lot of these names, I think, are going to go down 60, 70, 80% from their high. I'm talking about the story stocks. This happened in 2000. We are in that time frame. We're in that two, three-year period right now, just starting, that these stocks are getting revalued much, much lower. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I invite you to join me for Finance Podcast Week, March 26th through the 28th. You can hear a variety of live stream panels and exclusive episodes. This Saturday, 27th, I will lead a special panel discussing the pros and cons of indexing versus value investing. This is uh, that's this Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific. You must pre-register if you want to listen uh, and comment live. So keep listening to today's podcast for more details, registration information, and the free passcode. This is Invest Talk. We're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast. It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour. Hi, I have been interested in the airline market, particularly JetBlue, J-B-L-U, but the market as a whole as well. I've noticed that the numbers are right around their peaks, and I'm wondering if the market is already reflecting a bounce back for airlines or if it's still early enough to buy and have high hopes. Thanks. Love your program. Well, the airlines are starting to roll over with the rest of the market. JetBlue has been on a tear along with a lot of the leisure-focused airlines like Spirit and Southwest. And JetBlue is certainly in that. They don't have a lot of business travelers, typically, and those are the types of flights that are going to hurt the most. And uh, I'm noticing that airline tickets are getting pretty expensive recently. So it's not shocking to see uh, a bounce back and an expectation now of earnings of 92 cents per share next year for JetBlue. It's a $18.79 stock at the close today. 
Pre-pandemic 2019, they made a dollar ninety-one, which is down from 2016 when they made two dollars and twenty-two cents. And the airline business is always a bit up and down from pricing pressures and various industry dynamics. What's good about the airlines recently, though, is that they got a lot of concessions from the the unions, and that's lowered their cost structure a bit. So. I like that factor. That's a big factor for them. The big question is, has the market priced it in? Even after this 13.5% pullback from its recent high. And I'm going to say, for the most part, yes. Now, you start getting back down to the low teens on this, 12 13 maybe $14. I, I might be interested in JetBlue. But now the price momentum looks to be down for the short term. And that is a level that I think it could get to. And so at 14, I would consider it. But here around $19 a share, I would, hold, I would wait on it. Keep on your watch list. Um, I will say longer term, I don't love airlines. It's just... My grandfather was never a big fan. They're always a kind of commodity business. They go through bankruptcies, and they typically have a lot of operational issues throughout the years. Certainly, the algorithms have helped them to be able to price their tickets uh, better than they have in the past, and, and that's, that's a big change for the airline industry. But overall, there tends to be overcapacity once they get too profitable, uh, and then it goes the other way, and then there's too many... Too many uh, flights and airlines and it gets more competitive and profitability goes down and that's kind of the cycle of the airline industry so near term on that pullback i, I would like it because of the it's leisure focused but longer term not a giant fan now my focus point today concerns the story work from home trends are causing employees to endure long work days now to combat remote work Work awareness, uh, weariness, excuse me, companies may need to create a new hybrid work structure to foster a better work life balance. Can business adapt quickly re to reduce worker burnout? We're going to discuss that topic. Well, now that we are first, almost through the first quarter, I think it's worth taking a minute to make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley. Our client investors through our company, KP Financial, are of all different stripes. We work with all different types of people, from multimillionaires to those with just rollover IRAs. And we're based in Irvine, California. If you don't know, that's in Southern California. So let me remind you that here on Talk and at my company, KP Financial, we operate with FOSS, the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. And how do we do that? Well, we provide the unbiased guidance both on and off air, as well as practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our offer for a free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Jive, or Skype meeting. Just give us a call. Now we're heading into a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. 
Now, my focus point today involves the story that work from home trends are causing employees to endure longer work days. And this is something, this is a great study because this new world of work from home is in some ways new, in some ways not so, so new, but definitely new for a lot of people. And for many of us, the workday actually feels longer. And that's what this study shows. This is from Harvard University. And they looked at 3 million people in 16 cities worldwide and found that the average workday increased by 48 and a half minutes during the pandemic's early stages. And 67% of employees surveyed agreed that the expectations of a flexible working day have increased. So you need to be available for more hours in exchange for that, that working from home environment. 55% of them agree that flexibility is a factor in whether they stay with their employers. So uh, being able to stay flexible is something that they want. Now, current work days are between two to three hours longer, fueling something called always-on fatigue. This is what uh, the, the lead researcher uh, from Harvard is saying. And there's a lot of interruptions. That's a big issue. But one of the big factors is not being able to turn off. This is something I do. I walk my dog. So that's helpful. But... The commuting process is actually good for our brains, and it creates this kind of switch from home life to work life. You're driving to work, you're starting to switch from home thinking and problem solving to work problem solving and thinking. And that isn't something your brain does very well quickly. It's the process of the commute that can do that. Thinking about driving into work, about what you might have to do, who you're going to talk to, what your day is going to look like. And it's not that demanding because you're just driving, but you are starting to think about that and, and turn your brain on in that way. And vice versa. Driving home, you probably have still some thoughts about work, thinking about home life, and gradually as you get home, you're more in tune with what is needed at home. And so what I do is I walk my dog in the morning and then when I get home at night, if, if, I, uh, or, or if I'm working from home, some, I'm kind of hybrid, sometimes in the office, sometimes at home. And for example, after this show, go and uh, I do yoga today. So that's one thing that will kind of turn my brain off from the work life and into kind of the home life. And this is, to me, the best advice that I've seen with this new work home, work home environment. But what it's also showing me is that it's not so foolproof that everybody is just going to be working from home forever. I think that is the expectation. But as always, most narratives get taken too far. And they say, oh, things are just going to be this way. Reality is usually somewhere in the middle. Just as when sentiment on the market or gets too high or too low, 
reality somewhere in the middle. And the market mean reverts. And I think you're going to have a mean reversion of this idea as well. Yes, there will be a lot of people that will continue to work from home. Even if it's 10% of the workforce, that is a giant shift in work-life environment as a country. But I doubt it's going to be a whole lot more than that over the longer term. The interaction the, that being in an office brings, the efficiency that that brings, although yes, there are people, there are industries where you can be just as efficient at home, the majority, I think it's overblown that you can actually be as efficient in ag, in total, with everybody working from home. So the demise of the office, I think, is too soon. Will it change? I think that's what it'll be. Be more of a hybrid environment where you don't maybe come in so many days. There's not so much attention on building this crazy work environment with a lot of perks and things like that. Your perk will be working from home two, three days a week. I think that's going to be the more common way that work-life environment evolves. So think about that when you're looking at REITs in the office space or you're looking on how companies are, are cutting staff or changing the way their staff is, is actually working. So this is an interesting study, and it just goes to show you there are pros and cons to everything. On the next Invest Talk, the story. After a $270 billion hit during the pandemic, followed by a healthy January 2021, restaurant sales have slowed again. Did you know that by class, restaurant workers have the second highest rate of unemployment? That story I'll get to tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Numbers are elusive. But if it goes to zero, do you lose all your money? They're always changing. Their debt-to-equity ratio is fairly low. Invest Talk listeners know it's all about the numbers. I'm 82. I'm interested in knowing what the recommended withdrawal rate would be. So the questions keep coming. Hi, Steve and Justin. I'm question regarding real estate. Everything counts. I was wondering if you could shed a little bit more light on ExxonMobil. Jason, El Segundo, how you doing? Let's go to Robert in San Leandro. He wants an ETF follow-up. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, thank you for your continued support. I really appreciate your insight and your understanding of the market and financial business. Since it all started, the total number of InvestTalk downloads has now exceeded 28 million. Hi, Steve and Justin. I've been listening to you guys for two years, and I absolutely love your show. InvestTalk.com For investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations. You've found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. Invest Talk. Steve and Justin welcome your questions anytime on the Invest Talk listener line. 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve or Justin. This is Zach from Atlanta, Georgia. I uh, love the podcast. Thank you for everything y'all do. I had a question about some insurance stocks. I know y'all have been talking about them. I've been looking at Allstate, MetLife, and Hartford Financial Services. I was wondering what you guys think of them, if I should just go into 
a third of each one, or if I should go into just one of them. Love the podcast. Thanks for everything that you do. Have a good one. Well, Hartford just recently got a buyout from Chubb. We talked about that. I believe it was on Monday show, was it? And so that was there's not really much upside, probably not much downside either. So I would kind of throw that one out or maybe find a new one. MetLife and, and Allstate are pretty good. My biggest worry on these names is that they have some retirement annuity arms. And with the, the regulations coming down the pipe when it comes to best interest, and there, yes, there's a lot of lobbyists and there's, a lot, there's some loopholes here that can get around it. I just think the longer-term pressures on that part of the business makes me a bit worried about that side of the business. Uh, that longer term, there will be regulatory pressures that will eliminate a lot of sales or a lot of sales people that maybe go towards the advisory space where you're not selling commissioned products. Like, you know, we don't collect commissions, for example. And there are a lot of annuity salesmen out there that are hawking these variable annuities because they get 9, 10, 11% uh, commissions. Big, it's big money. But they're not selling them the best interest of their clients. They're selling them because it's a big commission. And regulation, SEC regulation, is trying to eliminate a lot of this. And that would be my biggest worry. So the fact that Allstate and MetLife have some business on that side... I would be looking at more of the pure property and casualty players. Those would be more of my favorites as opposed to a MetLife or an Allstate. Now, we have a bit of a backlog of voice bank questions, and I don't want them to become dated. So today, I'll devote more time to some voice bank calls. This came in earlier from Florida on 888-99-CHART. Hi, uh, my name is Mike from Tampa. I have a question about ticker IVR at Vesco Capital Mortgage. I'm thinking about taking a position. I'd like to have something with some good dividends, and I think that had a pretty good yield. I know they've had a pretty good beatdown since last year, but I was wondering if uh, if now would be a good time or when you might think a good, a good time would be or if you think this would be good for the long term. All right, thanks. Bye. Well, I think you are chasing yield here. It does yield 8.2%, but their dividend has been cut from a high of $1.85 in 2019 now to $0.57 cents per share. And yes, it's trading at $30.88, so that's why you're getting, it's where you're getting that nice 8% dividend or so. But they've had to issue a bunch of shares. 2018, they had 112 million shares outstanding. Now they have 174. So... And the main reason is pretty clear here. This is a mortgage REIT. All of these mortgage REITs that are out there with juicy dividends, they are often very volatile, especially when they're taking some credit risk. And this is a name that that is taking some credit risk. Yes, they do have a lot of Fannie and Freddie-backed mortgages, residential mortgages, but they also have commercial mortgages and mortgage loans. So because that of that, their business is struggling with collecting rents on their commercial borrowers. 
And so I don't love the risk reward here because they've issued so much shares. Don't look at, oh, looks cheap, $3.88. I'm getting 8% yield. This is easy to go back down to 2 bucks, And that 8% yield won't look so juicy. So I really have to dig into their portfolio, and you would have to as well. I haven't done that, but on the surface, I don't like that exposure to the commercial side, and that means I would be passing and look, looking for some better, some better companies, more consistent companies with equally as good of yields, close to 6 7 8%. You can get those out there uh, without taking that level of risk. So I'm going to pass on it. So let's keep moving. Here comes another voice bank question. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Mike from Tracy. I was reading in the Kiplinger letter about the ag industry, and they were talking about the ag equipment manufacturers are expected to have a banner year. And they talked about John Deere, DE, is expected to double-digit revenue growth in fiscal year 2021. Their current stock price is 349.83, and I was just wondering your opinion on the value of the company and also the growth of the company or the fundamentals of the company. So I look forward to hearing your analysis. Thank you. Have a great day. Well, the fact that you're already reading about it means the marketer knows about it. So it's going to need to beat already very high expectations. And that's why I think you're late to the game here. It's already starting to roll over a bit, down 8% from its recent high last week. And it's just simply overvalued. Now it's at $360 a share. Our value is closer to $200 a share. So it's certainly a great company. It will benefit from the ag space and the fact that China needs to feed more people. The, the world population is booming. And I think there is some value as a company longer term. And it should be on your watch list. But this is not a name at these levels that I would be getting excited about. I would look for a broader pullback. If you get to 250 then I would think about it. Then I'd think about this name. But at $360 a share, $113 billion market cap, you're talking about... Uh, enterprise value to sales ratio of 3.1. Typically, this is a name that tends to trade closer to one times enterprise value to, to sales, trading at three times. So that expectation of what you're reading about is already priced in the market, and I would keep it on my watch list, but I would wait for a much bigger pullback. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I encourage you to explore the finance and investment information we have over at investtalk.com. You can learn about the various investment strategy opportunities we offer through KPP Financial. For example, check out our Equity Income Plus program. It's dividend investing with a boost. We developed a strategy and it only holds dividend paying stocks, but then adds an extra boost of income by writing cover calls on those positions. So if you're serious about achieving financial freedom, you'll want to learn about what myself and Steve Peasley do over at KPP Financial. Learn more right now at investtalk.com. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk listeners are invited to join Justin Klein as he participates in Finance Podcast Week, March 26th through March 28th. You can hear a variety of live stream panels and exclusive episodes. 
Panel discussions include topics such as real estate, the markets, cryptocurrency, personal finance in the pandemic, the money mindset, and more. Justin's special live stream panel will be presented on Saturday, March 27th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So head over to podbean.com slash podcast week slash finance to register. We've allocated free passes for the first 100 people to register. Use the code investtalk for a free pass. So head over to podbean.com slash podcast week slash finance. Hurry, registration ends March 26th. Hi, Steve. I was just going to get your take on a company ticker BST. That's Mistra Energy. That's a Texas energy company that was just recently uh, took a pretty big dip from the uh, winter vortex we experienced here in North Texas. Currently got a small position in it, entered uh, last week somewhere around 1740, and was just going to get your take on the company. Anyhow, keep up the good work. Uh, love the podcast. Uh, you guys are great. We'll talk to you later. Look at Vistra Energy, and this emerged from Energy Future Holdings bankruptcy back in 2016, and is one of the largest power producers and retail energy energy providers in the U.S. It operates 38 gigawatts of nuclear, coal, and natural gas power generation. It serves 5 million customers in 20 states. Its retail business serves almost one-third of all Texas electric customers. Very interesting. I haven't looked at this one in particular in relation to the huge blackouts in Texas, but based on the chart, it was not good for them. Maybe that has to do with changing regulation because it kind of shed some light on how poor the structure is in, in, in Texas, possibly. Maybe that's why. To really look at what that big downdraft was on February 26th. Now, one thing I don't like is that they emerged from bankruptcy. Why did they go bankrupt in the first place? I'll say that. But it does yield 3.6%, looks like. Yeah, 3.6% based on current price. It's been buying back shares. I like that. Went from 505 million shares outstanding in 2018 to 491. Not big buybacks, but some. Good Cash flow, $2 billion, trailing 12 months. Decent profitability there. Its business, historically, is a little all over the map, so I worry about that. This is an industry that is, is consistent, and I'm not seeing that consistency there. They do have a lot of debt, but that's also typical for an industrial, or excuse me, a, a utility company. Their payout ratio is only 41%. Cash dividend payout ratio, only 12.5%. So they have a lot of room to increase that dividend. I like that. But why did it have the drop? That's my biggest question. The numbers look pretty good, to be honest with you. I like where it's at. I don't like that they have coal. How much is, how much is derived from coal that's likely to be phased out? How strong is their nuclear Arsenal, shall you say, uh, for power generation? Are they investing in that side? I do think that is going to be very important here in the, the worldwide to combat climate change. So that's something that I would dig into a little bit as well. 
Uh, so those are the questions I would need answered before I have strong conviction on this name. So I hope that gave you a little guidance on where to start your research. All right, next we're going to pivot from Texas to Nebraska for another caller question. Hey, Steve and Justin, this is David from Nebraska. Hey, love the show. Thanks for everything that you guys do. have a question about Light in the Box Holdings, L-I-T-B. It looks like kind of an, an interesting concept to me, and it looks like it's trading about $3 a share. Just wondering if this would be a good time to, to jump in if it has a lot of like potential upside to it. So anyway, um, look forward to hearing your comments on the show. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Light in the Box Holdings, an online retail company. What is so unique about them? I'd have to really dig into, I wish you gave me a little bit more on what makes them so unique. But I don't love the Chinese companies. I always say this, and I hate to be dogmatic about it, because I think that's always a bad place to be in any walk of life, to be too dogmatic about anything. But I, I just don't – I always look at these names with a huge skeptical eye. I look at the numbers with a grain of salt because we know that those numbers are likely fabricated in some way. How much? You just don't know because they don't allow the auditors in. And don't look at this, oh, it's worth $3. It's trading at $3 a share. It doesn't mean it's cheap. It's a $337 million market cap. $132 million in sales, lost $0.03 cents a share last quarter, made $0.07 cents a quarter before that. So based on earnings, it's not cheap because it's trading at 3 bucks. Um, on the surface, it looks okay for a growth name, but I don't love the growth names right now. I don't love China <laughs> as uh, buying their equities because, once again, their numbers need to be taken with a grain of salt. So I'm passing on light-in-the-box holdings. Let's see if I can squeeze one more question in before the break. Hi, new subscriber. I love your show. Just a question. I've been investing in BEP, Parkfield uh, Renewable Energy. Just want your thoughts on it. And I'm kind of wondering why it's sold off so badly. Thank you. All right. BEP is the symbol. And Brookfield... Let's see, Brookfield Renewable Partners, I believe that's what it is. And the reason it's it's selling off because the whole space is. Anything in the renewable space is showing a lot of weakness because, frankly, it's overvalued. The whole space has been kind of over-allocated to. There's a lot of hype that's coming off of it. Once again, like I said at the top of the show, when you have narrative driving a stock or driving a sector – once the momentum in that sector wanes, often the fall can be dramatic because most of those people are just chasing returns. They're not strongholders of the equities. I talked to my buddy about this, and he looking to buy into a renewable fund, and he asked me about it, and I said, look, typically when new funds are coming out that are thematic in some way, it means that there's a lot of investor fervor for that particular sector. And that's the only reason that they're coming out with it because they know they can get a lot of AUM, assets under management, in that fund very quickly. They're not going to go through the process of launching a fund when there's not a lot of excitement around that space. 
And when there's a lot of excitement around that space, typically the stocks are overvalued and that shine is now coming off. So that's what you're seeing here. We're going to our last break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. We're going to go to Napa and talk with Noel. He's looking at B&G Foods. Yes. uh, Good afternoon, Justin. Uh, Yeah, I've I've had it for over a year. It's been great through COVID, but, you know, the perception is we're leaving, clawing our way out of COVID, and uh, maybe it's not uh, the place to be at this time. Uh, I was just thought I'd see if you thought it might be the time to rotate out of it. I was looking for maybe uh, in the 50s, but uh, maybe it's uh, time to move. I still like B&G Foods. I think their management is good. They just uh, proved a $50, billion, $50 million stock repurchase program, which is about 2.5% at uh, the current $2 billion market cap. Good cash flow. Sales continue to recover, and now last quarter up a nine percent year over year so i like that yield six percent and the recent kind of choppiness i think is chalked up to interest rates rising packaged foods would be part of the consumer staples sector and that typically underperforms with the current economic backdrop of inflation rising and economic growth rising so that's why you kind of see this languishing. But technically, it looks still very strong. It's just right at that 50-day moving average. I still have, uh, I still like it, uh, and I would hold on to it, to be honest with you. And you'll probably get uh, more tailwinds from an economic perspective as we get closer to the back half of the year, which I think economically will be a bit slower. Uh, so that's my take on B&G Foods. Unless you have something exciting to replace it with, I would hold it. Let's go to Sergio in Palm Springs and looking at yeah. a an IPO. Uh, yeah, on uh, BlackRock Innovation and Growth Trust. Trust. Um, the ticker is B, Biggs, B-I-G-Z. Um, okay. I want to see your take on it this Friday. Well, I don't know anything about it. Can you tell me uh, anything more than just the name? Honestly, I want to just your opinion on it. I was actually going to do some D&D tonight about it. But he actually referred it to me, and I was like, I got to ask Steve about this, see what he thinks. But. Okay. Well, like I said just a few minutes ago, that whenever there's a fund that comes out, they're, they're going to put a big name on it. They're going to focus on areas that are exciting, at least at the current time, where the narrative is strong. And this one, Innovation and Growth Trust. It looks like exposure to companies with above average earnings growth, right? Growth companies. Mid and small cap companies. I like that probably the most. That it's more focused on mid and small. But 
these are this is the time where growth stocks are underperforming and they're trying to get launch this before this sector kind of uh, reprices lower and that's what you're seeing here it's why Nasdaq has been weak you just see the growth side of the market struggling and so these new funds that have exciting names they typically are launching when everything is way too overvalued. So I'm passing on this a year from now, two years, three from three years from now, after these funds have launched and their performance is probably not done so well and the companies within them probably haven't done so well because they've revalued lower, that's when you pick those up. When the excitement is not as as, as strong. The saying that my grandpa that I've taken from my grandpa the most is buy when there's sellers and sell when there's buyers. Well, there's a lot of buyers and innovation and exciting names. And that's not when you want to be a buyer. You want to be a buyer when the long-term thesis is still intact. The innovation is still there, but the market and investors aren't focusing on it very much. That's when you want to be picking up growth names, but not right now as they're rolling over. So the momentum is weak. I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family members about our free podcast downloads. We post a new program each weekday shortly after the end of our live stream broadcast, which concludes at 5 p.m. Pacific time. You can get your free downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and any other podcast network out there as well. I'm in, uh, And you can listen on InvestTalk.com, as always. So be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is the Best Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial.